Welcome to The Whole Steward, the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. I'm your host, Daniel Stanton, and I'm glad you've joined. He was very rich in livestock, land, silver, and gold. He had a very beautiful wife. He led 318 of his trained men, warriors, into battle and won. He lived out righteousness and justice with many great promises given to him. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We look at the life of Abraham today on The Whole Steward. This is episode number 45. Thanks for listening. Let's jump right in. Abraham, the father of faith, the man who is held up in both the Old Testament and the New Testament as the model of what it means to be a child of God or to have faith in God such that you are saved or counted as righteous. That right there is the most important thing of this entire life. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what you do in this life if you do not have faith in God through the means that God provides, you will end up bearing God's wrath for eternity. It is very important that we understand how it is that one is justified. But this study today is not only to look at the faith of Abraham, because that is one of the areas of stewardship that we focus on here, but to kind of expand our view and look at the holistic approach to wealth that Abraham took in his life as the father of faith, as a man of faith. Now, let's start right in Genesis 12, where God calls Abraham. Now, the Lord said to Abram, now, let's stop right there for just a second. God changes Abram's name to Abraham. So, it starts out in the account as Abram, and then later gets changed to Abraham. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran. So Abram gets called by God. He was basically a pagan man, and God calls him and says, go to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless the world basically through you. Now, think about it. All the nations of the earth have been blessed in Jesus Christ, who comes from the loins of Abraham. You can track it all the way through. We'll get to that a little bit later. But notice that he obeys. He just picks up and goes, and he obeys. He left his father's house, and he took all his possessions with him. Abram was a very capable man. You can see that when he builds an altar to the Lord in verse 7. When the Lord appeared to Abram 
and said to your offspring, I will give this land, the scripture says he built there an altar to the Lord. Here you can see Abram is a very capable physical man and he is worshiping the Lord through his physical stewardship what he does with his hands, what he does with the resources and probably rocks that he had available. He's worshiping the Lord for the promises that he's been given. It's very interesting when he goes down to Egypt now. They come to Egypt in verse 10 through 20. Abram has this concern that his wife is very beautiful. He says in verse 11, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And so he basically tells Sarai, look, lie to the Egyptians and tell them you're my sister so that they don't do anything to me because he was worried, oh, they're going to kill me and take you. Well, what ends up happening is the Egyptians see that the woman was very beautiful and Pharaoh ends up taking her for his own because he thought, well, it's Abram's sister. And he ends up getting really mad at Abram because Abram lied. And this is not one of the high points in Abram's life. In terms of good stewardship, one of the things that scripture does is it does not hold back the blemishes and the sins that the men of faith and the women of faith commit. And this is one of those where he lies about who Sarai is. So the scripture says in verse 16 that Abram had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. This guy was loaded. It was a whole entourage. His whole household was an entourage, and they came into Egypt. He lied to Pharaoh about who Sarai was, and Pharaoh gets pretty mad about it. Verse 18, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, quote, she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Now this whole entourage gets sent away. All right, dude, you lied to me and you're gone. And he sends the whole entourage away. One of the things in in chapter 13 I find super fascinating about Abram is that he's very shrewd, but also very kind. Verse 2, well, starting in verse 1, so Abram went up from Egypt and he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the Negev. So he leaves goes up with his wife and all that he had, probably a big caravan. And the reason I say that is because, verse 2, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. So here's this man journeying with a bunch of livestock, a bunch of people in his household, his servants, and his wife, and his kinsmen. And they come up into the Negev, and basically there's a problem. Because Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, there was a dispute. The land could not support both of them in verse 6, and their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. So both of these guys have a lot of possessions, a lot. So much so that the land couldn't support both of them. And so there was strife between Abram's livestock and herdsmen and Lot's 
herdsman. So Abraham said to Lot, and this is where his shrewdness and his kindness and his stewardship really comes out. Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. And so Lot chose for himself that valley and Abram went the other direction. The problem is that the direction Lot went was towards Sodom and Gomorrah and that place was very, very wicked. You can see there it says, now the men of Sodom were wicked great sinners against the Lord. So Lot really kind of set himself up for trouble because he took some really good land, but it had wicked men in it. Abram, at the same time, separated himself from Lot and went the other direction. And it's really amazing how God says to Abram, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So again, Abram is receiving these promises from God about the land, and he's moving his tent, and he's settling in that land, and he believes God. It doesn't say here, but it just says that he moves his tent to where God was showing him. Chapter 14 is super awesome. In case you think Abram is some rich dude that doesn't do much but sit around all day and get served by his servants, this guy was pretty incredible. There were the kings that came and captured Lot. There were several kings warring against each other. And in the midst of the problems and the battles and the conflicts, Lot ends up getting carted off as prisoners along with women and children as hostages, basically. And in verse 12 of chapter 14, it says that they, they also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions, and went their way. Verse 13, Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Ashkel and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. Abram's got a personal army. 318 trained men born in his household, and he led them 
divided the forces, basically the commander of this miniature army, and defeated the captors of Lot and brought back all the possessions and the women and the people. Pretty amazing what Abram does. It's super cool in chapter 14, Abram gets the blessing of Melchizedek, and if you don't know who he is, he The scripture doesn't say where he was from. The book of Hebrews talks about how Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek because Abram actually blesses and tithes to Melchizedek. But this king, Melchizedek, blesses Abram and says in verse 19, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So there Abram tithes to Melchizedek. Super amazing here to see that God is extolled as the possessor of heaven and earth, and that he is blessing Abram and delivering his enemies into his hand. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Enner, Eshkel, and Mamre take their share. So Abram had formed this alliance with his neighbors. He defeated the kings, came back with possessions, and the king of Sodom wanted to give him stuff. But Abram said, no, because then you'll say, I'm the one who made Abram rich, and he didn't want that. So he was a very humble man and also very shrewd in terms of the perspective that people had of him, and he was concerned about that image. Now, whether that was a good thing or not, the scripture doesn't really say. It's kind of just commentating on what happened, but I think he was very just and righteous, and I'll tell you why I say that. Hi, this is Gary Pinkerton with Gary's Gulch Podcast. You are listening to The Whole Steward with Andrew Stanton, one of the best researched shows by a man of true passion. Now that you know more, go out and grow more. Verse 15, God iterates the covenant with Abram, the Abrahamic covenant. Again, he says in verse 1, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. So Abram's saying, I hear what you're saying, Lord, but I don't have any kids because Sarai was barren. God basically promises him in verse 5, by taking him outside, he said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And verse 6 is the clincher. This is how he was made righteous. It says, quote, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So right there, that is the clincher. 
Abram believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteous. None of what he was doing earned favor with God. It was the fact that he believed the promises that God gave him. And that's for us to believe too. We believe the promises that God has given us through his son. And we'll get into that in a bit. But this is why Abram is called the father of faith. And of course, God makes a covenant in and of himself, puts Abram to sleep and says, I swear by myself, in and of myself, this covenant is between me and you, but it is made only by me. So it's basically unconditional on Abram's part. Now, the sad part about the story is that Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and even though he believed God, he still had no offspring yet through his wife. And God had basically promised that Sarai would bear him offspring. And so they kind of take matters into their own hand. The Egyptian servant is given to Abram instead, and he bears a son Ishmael through that. And it is not what God intended. In fact, the sad part about it is that there were a lot of problems that arose for Abram trying to take matters into his own hands and create offspring for himself when God had specifically promised that it was through his wife, Sarai, that he would have a son. In chapter 17, verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a great multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout all generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. What I love about the Abrahamic covenant is how God says repeatedly, I will, I will do this. He's promising possessions, land, offspring, things that have material and tangible manifestation on this earth, and changing his name to Abraham and saying, I will do this for you. Abram, in case you're curious, means exalted father, but Abraham means father of a multitude. So now you know why God changed Abram's name to Abraham. All through chapter 17, I will give you a son. I will bless her. I will establish my covenant. I will make him fruitful. I will make him into a great nation. I will establish 
I will, I will, I will, repeatedly. This is God speaking, and he's the one who does this. It's an unconditional covenant. Although, he does command Abram to walk before him blameless. So, hey, Abram, live before me in my statutes and my rules. But the covenant I'm making with you, it's everything I'm going to do for you. God also changes his wife's name, Sarai, to Sarah. And in chapter 18, Abraham and Sarah, they are having issues getting pregnant. And they're struggling with believing physically the possibilities of God doing and bringing about what he had promised, specifically due to the physical nature of their surroundings. And they still lived in a tent, but when the angels of the Lord came to, basically, they were going to execute judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham has this whole conversation with them, and Abraham and Sarah are serving them as the messengers from God, and Sarah overhears a conversation about, hey, guess what? God is going to make good on his promise. And Sarah, of course, laughed and uh, you know, basically denied it. In chapter 18, verse 14, it says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. So she was laughing like, yeah, no way. Ha, this, this isn't happening because she was so old. But of course, the Lord held her accountable as well as Abraham to believe God. And she is held up as a woman of faith later on in scripture that no unbelief made her waver. She trusted God as well. Abram was also a very just man and prayed for, for Lot and pleaded with the Lord, negotiated basically to have Lot and his family saved if they were the only righteous ones in Sodom and Gomorrah. The implications of the judgment that God executes on those cities are profound, and certainly in our day and age today, the evils that are surrounding us every day become more and more close to sodomy. Uh, That's an actual real term, uh, sodomy, committing the acts that the men did in Sodom and Gomorrah. I will not go through that story in detail, although it is very important that you do so on your own if you see fit. Uh, The Lord being merciful. So you see the mercy of God coming through out the judgment that he is executing. He's the perfect judge, and he's also very merciful. But of course, Abraham is there and living out and negotiating with the Lord as well. So I really don't want to rush through this. We'll see that God makes good on his promise. We'll see that a son is indeed born to Abraham through Sarah, his wife. That son is Isaac. And of course, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And we will see the blessings upon blessings that come through Abraham to Abraham and to the world and the nations through him. And this certainly is not filled with a perfect man. Remember, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
but we still have a lot to learn from his stewardship. And there is more, including Abraham's dealing with Abimelech, Isaac, Ishmael, and the burial of Sarah, and also finding a wife for Isaac. So we'll cover that next week. Until then, now that you know more, go out and grow more. All content on The Whole Steward is for informational purposes only and must not be considered personal, professional, tax, or legal advice. Please consult an appropriate professional for individualized advice. Though we do our best to bring you reliable information, we make no guarantee on its accuracy. So you must rely on your own due diligence to draw your own conclusions. The views expressed by guests on the show are their own and may not represent that of the host. Please visit our website for complete terms and conditions. Thanks for joining us today for the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. This show is brought to you by thewholesteward.com.